You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. And welcome to uh, another episode of the RN Mentor podcast. Uh, I have the great pleasure of being joined today by uh, Robin Kogan. Robin is a nationally certified school nurse, uh, currently in her 20th year as a New Jersey school nurse in the Camden City School District. Robin is a legislative co-chair for the New Jersey State School Nurses Association. She is a Johnson & Johnson School Health Leadership Fellow and past program mentor. Robin is honored is the honored recipient of the multiple of multiple awards for her work in school nursing and population health. These awards include the 2019 and 2020 National Association of School Nurses Presidents Award, the 2018 NCSN School Nurse of the Year, 2017 Johnson & Johnson School Nurse of the Year, and the New Jersey Department of Health 2017 Population Health Hero Award. Robin serves as faculty in the School Nurse Certified Program at Rutgers University Camden School of Nursing, where she teaches the next generation of school nurses. She was presented the 2018 Rutgers University Camden Chancellor's Teaching Excellence Award for part-time faculty, Robin writes a weekly blog, uh, The Relentless School Nurse. She also has a monthly column in The American Nurse, the official journal of the American Nurses Association. Robin was recently quoted in the New York Times and interviewed on CNN and other media outlets on her expertise and experience as a school nurse and the safety of schools reopening during the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you. I'm so, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. The honor is completely mine. Uh, uh, after the whole thing with CNN and everything, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get you on the show, <laughs> you know, celebrity status. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. But, uh, but thank you. Thank you for being here. And I have to let all, all of our viewers or our listeners know um, we strategically planned you being on around this time specifically because schools some of them are opening up some of them are not and uh, i know you have uh, a wealth of information to share uh but before we get into all that um uh, i i really want to kind of start with uh, your nursing career how you got started in nursing and then we want, i want to know how did you get into school nursing because that's not a specialty people really get it into until you know they they something happens, right? So, so uh, it's, it's not some people usually don't come into nursing saying, I want to be a school nurse. So how did that happen? And how did you get started in the world of nursing? So first, I have to say that the name of your podcast, right? The Mentor Podcast. Yes. Is nothing that I did in my nursing career. <laughs> it was the complete opposite. And I only wonder, truthfully, 
if I had a mentor earlier in my career, things might have gone very differently for me. Hmm. So I really want to frame it by saying, as much as I love what I've done in my career, I had no guidance. I had no roadmap. I made decisions on a whim. I did not start out to be a nurse. I, as, a, as much as I'm the relentless school nurse, I'm also the reluctant nurse because that was not my first career. I actually studied art therapy. And when oh, wow. I was in my art therapy program, so I love your art, by the way, that like really touches me on the, the soul level. I was um, studying psychology and art therapy. And um, the reason I went into nursing, it's a very long story, but to make it, uh, it's a pretty compelling story, actually. I was studying art therapy. Um, my family's background. I'm I'm not sure if you know, but we've had a history of horrendous generational gun violence in my family. And my father lost his entire family and 10 other neighbors in one of the first mass shootings in the United States. Wow. Uh, in the same city where I happen to work. So all these things, you know, come back in a big circle. So I was studying art therapy. This happened when my father was 12. So um, he was an orphan at 12 and left the city of Camden where I now work. Um, And, you know, fast forward, got married very young, had children very young. Um, I was always interested in art always interested in art therapy and the, and the creative arts therapies. So I studied in the program where I was studying, I did an internship at a psychiatric hospital, not knowing that the killer of my father's family was an inpatient there. Wow. I never met him or saw him there, but he was there. I didn't even know he was still alive. It was one of those things in 1949 when this happened, these were secrets that families kept pretty much. So anyway, um, in the early 80s, when I was studying my art therapy program, um, the a public defender in Camden County took on the killer's case because he had never been given a trial. And he was able to get all of the murder indictments dropped against the murderer. And in the course of the trial that happened through this process, the art therapist that was my mentor at the facility testified on his behalf. Oh, wow. And I, so, and simultaneously, I was finishing up my program and I was doing a clinical in an in, in a psych in a general hospital but a psych unit of a general hospital. So there were two things happening at once. The art therapist that I had so much respect for was testifying on behalf of the killer of my father's family and there was a group of nursing students coming through our psych unit and one of their classmates was an inpatient on our unit. So like all these worlds were colliding for me. And I realized um, I was missing a lot of information clinically about the mind-body connection. 
And at the same time, I wasn't trusting what I was studying because how could it be used in support of someone who had done so much damage to my family? So without much, uh, without very much thought, I decided to go to nursing school. So I finished my program. I got my degree and I turned around after my four years of uh, my undergrad and I went to a three-year nursing ADM program. There wasn't, it was the early 80s. There was no such thing as an RN completion program, a BSN completion program. They didn't even exist. That's when they're like BSNs were relatively new back in the 80s. You know, it was, there was many more three-year programs or two-year programs than BSN programs. And even though they wanted that to be the entry level, you know, obviously it wasn't and still isn't. Um, So anyway, that's how I became a nurse. So that's why on one hand, I I do consider myself in sometimes a reluctant nurse because it happened in a very haphazard way. But I have to say that what I learned, what I experienced, the tools that I had through my art therapy work and my psych background helped me tremendously as a school nurse tremendously that's that's uh that's it's 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 a little bit amazing because a lot of people i interview uh some of them say you know um nursing was their thing from when they were a child and then uh more than i want to say more 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 than less uh the the people i interview kind of stumble into nursing by by some event or not the first plan. And it wasn't mine either. Uh, I, you know, I had a military career sort of, you know, about 10 years of military life before I went into the world of nursing. So it's interesting that you, that I, that you transitioned uh, from an art, uh, art background into, into nursing. Actually, it's one of those things. I actually have quite a few students in the accelerated programs that I see that have like a, more of an art background or music background, and then they transition into nursing. So maybe there's a connection there. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe there is. So so how did your, so once you went into uh, the world of nursing, you went through the nursing program, uh, what was your transition into the nursing career? Because the- Yeah, so my focus, my focus was, was psych always. Psych and drug and alcohol rehab, that's where my, my passion was when we went, I remember doing our psych clinical. I was the only one that was just loving every second of it. You know, if you, put me, if you put me in the ICU, I might stand in the corner and cry, but put me in the psych unit and I'm good. I'm talking to people. I'm, you know, running groups. I'm feeling really in, you know, in my place. So, um, so that's where I really started my career. I worked for um, a psychiatric facility that was part of Princeton hospital. And I soon got into, this is what I mean, it was very aimless. I soon got into case management, uh, which I found really, really interesting. I eventually worked for um, a railroad, actually, and I did occupational health. Oh, wow. And that was really fun. I loved the job. I worked with, I was the health service manager for the Philadelphia Division of Conrail and for about five years, but Conrail was, had a hostile takeover by another railroad. So I could have either moved our whole family. By that time we had our kids and we were entrenched in the area. 
and nobody was going to up and move with me to Jacksonville, Florida. So my kids wanted to go to overnight camp. And I had a bit of a sabbatical, you could say. They, there was, you know, a little bit of severance. And that summer, we went, we went to overnight camp, and everybody there was a nurse, a school nurse. Oh, wow. So just like all my other decisions in nursing, <laughs> I said, oh, maybe I'll be a school nurse. And that fall, you have to, in New Jersey, you have to um, be certified just like a teacher through the Department of Education. So I signed up for coursework immediately as soon as I, you know, I kind of make a decision and I go for it, right? So the very first night of my very first class, the teacher said, if you, if you, um, if you're able to work now, Camden City is hiring through an emergency certificate. So I called them the next day. This was early September 2001. And they called me for my interview on September 12th, 2001. So the day after September 11th. And I remember thinking, why are they calling me? Like the world's coming to an end. You know, there's no need to, what's going on here? I was in such a you know, you remember that, although this is so much different. Um, anyway, I went for my interview and they hired me immediately. So I have been there since this is the beginning of my 20th school year. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, that's a, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge change from what we normally see, like people, uh, transitioning through their, uh, careers. Um, um, especially school nursing. I had a, I, I had the, um, my university, my, my, the college, the, 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 the nursing department within the college and university are, um, putting together a program. And I had a chance to, you know, I actually reached out to you a while back and we talked briefly about, uh, what's good. What's, what should a program look like, uh, a school nurse program look like. And, um, and uh, you were very helpful with that. And, but it, it was strange for me to look at a school nurse program because it's not the stuff that's in there is a lot of, a lot of the items that, you know, we kind of cover in a nursing program, but there's kind of sort of brushed over or nothing in depth. And it is its own really uh, specialty. specialty yeah, right? it uh, mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot that goes into it and it's just, and it is, it's the whole family unit. It's the community, it's the environment. It's a little bit of everything, right? It's really, it's really uh, population health and it very individual. It it's really like you have to be able to do both at the same time because exactly. things happen that way. Yeah. yeah. And most people don't think about school nursing in that capacity because they think, Oh, you kids have like a bloody nose or they scrape their knee or they have a, you know, they have a temperature and like, that's kind of the mental map. But when I was looking into it, I'm like, Oh my God, there's so much that I didn't even think about uh, that school nurses do. And it really is its own specialty and should be definitely recognized as such. Um, and, and truthfully, we have a national certification that supports that specialty right, practice. Right. We also um, have our own evidence-based framework for school, 21st century school nursing practice based on five principles of school nursing. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it really has um, been elevated I would say, especially in the last 10 years, the importance of school nursing. And, and I think COVID has really shined a, a, a light on 
what happens when you don't have a school nurse and, and the urgency of having school nurses and how 25% of this country, schools in this country don't have any school nurse. Absolutely. Um, and, and Los Angeles has been guilty of that. We don't have school nurses and actually the teachers went on strike uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the things that came out of that strike was a school nurse uh, at every facility. And, and, and one of the reasons was because there was a school shooting and there was no school nurse on duty. I remember wa- watching intently with the interview, the heart-wrenching interview with the, the, the staff that was trying to aid the student that was shot. And there was, and that was, I mean, Chicago went on strike about not enough school nurses. Oklahoma, I believe, went on strike about not enough school nurses. So, um, so I'm, I'm really encouraged to see, not that we want to go on strike, but I'm encouraged to see actions taken around at least spotlighting the importance of having a school nurse in your building. And it can't be more important than, than right now. It just can't. Right, uh, and that that was one of the ma- one of the major things. Like, I I can't imagine not having uh, a school nurse. Uh, not that teachers aren't capable of taking care of the children, but it is another it is another specialty. It is a very specific thing, and not having a school nurse that's going to be able to address the health and who's going to assess the kids. I mean, who's, exactly. who's doing that actual assessment, right? Right. And, right. and who knows the, the community resources? Who understands the contact tracing that we're going to need? Um, and who can, not that teachers can talk to parents, they absolutely can. But when you're talking about your, your child's health and well-being and welfare, it's a different conversation that a teacher would have than a nurse would have. Right. And you really do need that nursing and medical terminology and understanding of how this, the healthcare system works as a whole. Because one of the things I was reading is how school nurses actually help uh, family navigate the healthcare system, absolutely. which is something I never thought about the school nurse doing. But absolutely. I mean, uh, why not? I mean, that would be the most uh, appropriate individual that we can look at. Uh, oh, that happens so resource. often. So often in school nursing, I, I had a mom who, um, she came from a part of Guatemala where they speak a, a Mayan dialect, like an ancient Mayan dialect. So even Spanish for her was a second language. Wow. And she had a medical emergency. To make a long story short, she brought back her paperwork from her medical emergency. She submitted it to her employer and her employer said it was fraudulent and he fired her. So she brought the paperwork to me as the school nurse. Now, is she my client, patient, person? I think so, because I care for her son. And if you look upstream, if you don't help mom, what's going to happen to her child, right? So I did some digging, um, and mom was seen at a clinic for her discharge work. The clinic... Um, the, the, um, nurse practitioner at the clinic had taken a medical leave. And so what they did was they slapped on a bunch of, uh, stickers with the wrong phone number on them on prescription pads. So her return to work note was handwritten, no date, and the phone number was wrong. So it did look fraudulent. Um, the good news is, I was able to connect the provider to the employer because he was a little on the extra mean side and he wasn't even taking it. He wasn't taking my word. Um, 
And so it all worked out, but it was about uh, two hours of really kind of digging in and waiting. And I mean, I was having a hard time navigating this. Mom, you know, we have to meet people where they are, right? Right. We can't just cast people off. We have to meet people where they are. So um, anyway, that was a good news story. She got her job back. And, you know, if you look at what could have happened, it could have been a terrible situation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So like, like I mentioned, I, I never realized how involved uh, school nursing was till I had to look into it because I was writing uh, course proposals uh, for the different variations of stuff and uh, looking at certifications and national certifications and things like that, looking at those to kind of guide me. Um, now, I, I, I want to hear more about your uh, school nurse stories. But before we get into that, how has your journey been overall uh, as a school nurse? Because um, you've been you've been in this uh, arena for 20, 20 years, uh, where do you think um, besides what is, what's happening and the spotlight on on school nurses right now because of the coronavirus? Um, how has what has been the struggles? What has been the ups and downs of school nursing? So uh, you know, on the bigger picture front, the. The, one of the biggest challenges of school nursing is that there's nowhere to grow um, exponentially. There's really no system of upward mobility in school nursing. You have the same job for many, many years, decades even. Look at me, 20 years. Right. And it's because we are medical people within an educational setting and Aside from having, if you're lucky enough to have a school nurse in your building, doubtful that you will be reporting to a school nurse as a supervisor. Right. So all of the supervisory positions are certified for educational staff. I could, as a school nurse, get my supervisor certificate, but it's not a health services supervisor certificate. It's a curriculum certificate. It's a general su- educational supervisor certificate. So it's not specific to health services or to school nursing. Right. And, and, and that has been a deep source of frustration for me. Um, in over the last 20 years, if there were nursing supervisors, but they retired, those positions folded and they never replace them. So in New Jersey, for example, I'm in South Jersey. So from the middle of the state down, there's really only three school districts that have supervisors that are school nurses. So that's not very many. Yeah. So what I have found is that I've learned to grow horizontally instead of vertically. (laughs) 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 And I have found ways to, um, kind of nourish that part of my, um, you know, I don't know, what is the word, not motivation, but, you know, my, my, my desire to learn more, my desire to do more, my desire to get involved more. And so that's what I've done. Um, And when I said, when I told you in the beginning about not having a mentor, I really wonder where my personal career path would have gone had I had a mentor. I was always a lifelong learner. I love to learn. But if you look at someone like me who has probably, I don't know, 190 
bachelor level credits, but I don't have a BSN because not because of the way our system is. I have a master's degree and all of that good stuff, but it limits me for some arbitrary reason of not having a separate course in community, but yet I am a school nurse so embedded in my community. Like if somebody would look at my portfolio of coursework and my portfolio of my work, maybe they would have pity on me and and that's an honorary BSN. And actually that's that that's very important because I look at I, I look at programs and I look at uh, organizations and I look at uh, and there are these barriers like people that you it's like mind-boggling some of the individuals that aren't for example belonging to an organization because of that barrier or they are unable to move forward because of that arbitrary uh, uh, like nursing degree, because uh, I know it happens with like certifications, right? Like, oh, you need a BSN in blah, blah, blah. But you have like X amount of years in place. You have a robust portfolio. That BSN is not going to get you anything other than um, make your pocketbook a little bit lighter, right? Uh, so you have a nursing degree. You have degrees in other stuff. Because I this happened with a, a colleague of mine when I was at the hospital. She had a... a she had an ADN, but she got her bachelor's and master's in other other fields, but she had to go back and get a BSN for a promotion because she didn't have the minimum required of requirement was a BSN. I'm like, yeah, but she's got like 30 years in nursing. I mean, that BSN is not going to give her anything more. It's not going to enrich her any more than what she's done already in her like career. So it's like, those are very, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. And one of the things I always tell my, like my students or anybody who's asking me, um, I'm like, this is why it's important to have a portfolio of your work, uh, right? Um, because so many people don't have, you know, people have moved into this online fill in the blank job resumes and that's all they're doing. But portfolios really allow you to showcase what you have done in your career. And when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, growing horizontally, that's what a portfolio really allows you to showcase is look at everything I've done. Yes, I'm in this position that is not allowing me to move upward from a title perspective, right? But it, you can easily showcase how much you have done um, because not everything happens at your job. Um, so that, that's a that's a really important point. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, so moving moving forward, and uh, I definitely want to uh, pick your brain about this. Uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and uh, I know uh, you've been you've been on several programs already, and you have blogged about it. Um, so how did you? Uh, what do you think about what's going on with? Well, I know what you think, but I want my listeners to uh, to to hear it also. Uh, what do you think about what's going on with the coronavirus, with the children and teachers and administrators and staff being back at schools in some uh, cities around the country? Uh, what's your thoughts about that? I'm very discouraged that we never had a national response to this pandemic. When we look at other countries and we compare ourselves, it is embarrassing that we as a country, based on the highest levels of this government, 
um, decided to either pretend that this was not serious, not follow the science, degrade the science, and minimize the death and the despair that's happened. So what, what I see happening now is we are in a place that we never had to be. When we closed the school buildings in March, things were much better than they are right now. And they were scary in March. So when I look at opening schools, and I've been very entrenched in it, both at the state level and at the local level, it feels to me like we are doing the biggest social experiment ever without an IRB. Because we know that our kids have been bubble wrapped for the last five months. They have not been together with other kids. They did not go to summer camp. They did not do the activities that they would normally do. They might have done, hopefully, some social distancing. I'm, I granted there are kids that didn't follow all of that. But we don't know the impact of the spreading of the what's going to happen when we are all together. We have a little glimpse of it in other countries. Israel opened way too soon. And they're even saying, don't watch what we did because we didn't do it right, right? The countries that did it right, they were very deliberate. They listened to their scientists. They recognized the importance of public health strategies. I mean, to tell you the truth right now, Allie, this is all we have. We have five things, maybe six. Ready? We have wear a mask, which we're not even there yet because we don't have a national uh, standard. We don't have an agreement on masks. We have some crazy political divide on wearing masks. Wearing a mask does not infringe on your constitutional rights. It actually saves you and your friend and your neighbor and maybe your grandma. But okay. So the first W was wear a mask. There's five W's. The second one is watch your distance, right? The, the whole social distancing thing. But you know, in my, in my school community, if you tell somebody to stand six feet apart, but they speak Spanish and think in metrics, and you don't tell them two meters, they're not going to understand that. Right, right. Or if you have people that aren't good at visual spatial relations, tell them the refrigerator laying down. Stay stay as far apart as a refrigerator laying on its side. Like we have to meet people where they are. We have Certainly. to give credible messages. We don't want a social distance. We want a physical distance, but physical. we want to stay socially connected. Like the language is wrong. Okay, but I'll go back to my W's. But that's a great that, that's a great point about social when the first when we first started talking about social distancing, I'm like, what? what this is, is not the right language we wrong, should be using. Um, so I think part of the pushback was that whole verbiage. It's words the, matter. Words, words matter. matter strongly. So tell me to physically distance. I'll get that more than social. Because social means you're going to isolate. You're going to be by yourself. That's not what we want. Okay, so I'll go back to my W's. Because Ollie, this is all we have. This is it. That at is cool. That is. Yep. All right. So wash your hands, wear a mask, um, watch, watch your distance. The other W is when you are ill, stay home. Please don't come to school sick, staff and students. And the other W is when the phone rings and it's the health department, answer it, talk to them, be part of this public tracing. That's the, the contact tracing. People are feeling very infringed upon regarding contact tracing. But I hate to tell you, unless we cooperate and participate, 
we are never going to get this under control. We have a very broken down public health system. So now contact tracing is part of what is happening at school. So we are not only dealing with chasing this virus and run away, running away from this virus because we don't know who has it and doesn't have it at school because we are not afforded the elitist con uh, testing that is being done for our athletes and the highest levels of government because how do we really feel about our children? I don't know. If you go by how they're being treated through this situation, I say that we're not valuing our children. How do you not value your children if you refuse to test? How do you, what are you saying about them? You know, and, that, and that's one of the things I didn't I didn't understand is when they start coming out with pretty early on, mm -hmm. start saying kids aren't spreading it, kids aren't catching it, kids are their immune system is so much stronger, and all this stuff. I'm like, we don't know that. We don't know that they were bu they're bubble wrapped for five months. Yep. I'll, and we have we have some examples right now. Look what happened at that camp in Georgia. We know yep. that kids are spreaders. Right. Rutgers University football team. There's about 28 people sick right now. Yep. There, you know, two dozen lifeguards in New Jersey are sick right now from going to a party. Just look at the Phillies and the Marlins. Sorry to be so East Coast on you, but you know. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, and the, right, and the, there's a six W though, and this one really gets me. The six W is is open the windows windows in your school because we have this whole issue now around that it's airborne that it it lingers in the air for up to 16 hours but i want to say schools have been told since columbine to lock your doors and lock your windows because of school shooting and now we are being told to open your doors and open your windows because of covid so really the overarching message here is school safety we were not safe before covid we were having our own issues of school safety, of active shooter drills, of you know special locks on the doors, of, of igloos in classrooms where kids could go when the school shooter would come in. I mean, rocks to throw at the person coming in your door that they were giving out in a certain school. So to me, this whole, whole dynamic speaks to safety. What is, where can we feel safe? You know, right now, the only place I know I feel safe is inside my house, maybe with my husband, only if he's not going out somewhere and then he takes <laughs> a shower and does what, you know, but I, I can't even feel safe now hugging my own adult daughters because we don't live together. And, you know, it, so, so anyway, I, so that's why I put together these five W's, but added the six because. I think we have to really look at school safety and what that means and the impact of COVID on that. And I think that's a conversation we haven't had. Um, you know, it might have happened behind closed doors. I don't think on a public level it's happened. And then the other thing that I want to talk to you about, and this is really, I don't know if you have the expertise, but as a, as an individual, I respect and I want to have this conversation with how much do you think um, the fact that we're unable to provide uh, individuals from not going to work because of this, because they have children at home, right? So they have to go to work. They don't have childcare. Financially, they can't afford to, you know, uh, do anything or bring somebody in to live with them or whatever the case may be to watch their children uh, while they're at work. So how much do you think that's playing 
And because I know I have um, people that I'm connected to that are adamant, like, no, send, we're going to send our kids. You know, they live in areas where COVID or uh, hasn't really been that big of a issue. So they're all like adamant, like, no, send them in, uh, send our kids because we can't not go to work. So, How so much do you think that's playing into the push to push, put kids back in school? Well, I think that the big push to push kids back in school is completely political. And it's because this president, a failed president is now facing a reelection that, you know, he's, he's, but that's another whole story, but <laughs> there, there may be parts of this country where it could be safe. Maybe the problem is that this is now prevalent in all parts of the country. This is spread like wildfire. And it did not have to get this way. This was not a blue state problem as they wanted us to believe uh, in March, right? This is across the country. This is across the world. And sadly for us, when you look at other countries who have handled it on a national level with a national response, as if this is something we're going to work on together, they have had a much better response of compliance than our country that turned every step of the way into a, you know, a battle for, for the second amendment rights. And that's where we went wrong. The, the, we, the public health messaging was wrong. The public health professionals, the scientists, the physicians, the nurses were not respected. At the highest levels of government, uh, scientists are not respected. We can't even trust what our own CDC is telling us. They have had to do an about face with their um, guidelines based on the president saying that they were too complicated and too costly. And 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 you know, there's a wonderful physician that I follow, um, uh, Dr. Peter Hotek, he's out of Baylor University. He has something called the October plan. And I really, and I trust him. He's, he knows what he's talking about. This is his thing. He said, if we shut down for eight weeks, like other countries did, and I mean, no travel, nothing like shut down, shut down. We didn't shut down. We had piecemeal shut down. You know, and the it's the piecemeal kicking it to the governors who then kicked it to the mayors who kicked it. You know, nobody wanted to make that final really hard decision. And that's why we are where we are. If we had done what we should have done in March or February, we would not be here. Because you know what? I was a school nurse during H1N1. It was nothing like this. Now, granted, we had a vaccine in a relatively short time because it was related to another to another virus that they had been working on. So this is different in that regard, but in terms of flattening the curve, in terms of minimizing the cases, community spread should not be above 5% for over a period of at least 30 days before you even consider sending kids back to school. You know? We don't have that. We don't have that. We we're yeah, and, all over and- the place. Yeah, and then, and then there's new data that uh, that is actually talking about um, in communities that haven't really been affected by this, um, how they are actually are up next as far as they're going to be spiking. They're they're going to yeah. be spiking. So yeah. that's you know that's actually concerning. And there was nothing something else on Twitter today. I saw like a second grader, uh, like first after the first day of school, 
tested positive. So the school is on. I saw that in Georgia. Well, there was a a terrible picture of Georgia middle school, high school, first day of school. They were shoulder to shoulder, the couple people wearing masks. But other than that, it was school as usual. And that's the problem. And that governor, that governor is suing the mayor of Atlanta who tested positive along with her entire family for wanting to roll back some of these precautions, put them back in place because of a spike in her city, he's suing her. I mean, that's the level of division that is happening in this country. So no wonder we are where we are, but we don't have to be here. Uh, the national response has has definitely been nothing but poor uh, around this. And the fact that, you know, I, my, I think my biggest disappointment has been uh, the the uh, medical professionals that have been on a national level and how they've responded to this or how they started to respond to this uh, and how they've, uh, their messaging has continued to change uh, depending on the political arena. So that's been the biggest. They've been influenced. They've, if Dr. Redfield is influenced by the, the bully pulpit of the, of the uh, Trump administration, you know, right. and, and Dr. Brooks over the weekend, she told the truth. She said, this is spreading like no other. This is, you know, all across this country. She was, you know, she's been uh, chastised today by him. Right. But well, speaking yeah, truth to power, that's, and that's what we need to do as nurses. We need to speak the truth. We need to get our voices out there and say, wait a minute, this is not safe. And that's why I, when I did speak to that New York Times reporter, I said, I'm just going to say it. It feels like we're playing Russian roulette with our kids and our staff. Now, I did talk to her for a half an hour, and that's the only thing she wrote. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, after... It, it, after I said it, she said, oh, oh. And I thought, uh-oh, right. that's going to be the only thing she writes. And it was uh, true. But uh, I feel that way. I stand by it still. I feel like it's, a, like I said before, it's we're about to have a social experiment with no IRB. And we already can predict our hypothesis. We are going to have kids and staff that are sick and God forbid die. Um, I, I completely, it's a sad truth, but I completely agree with you. Um, now, if you, if you could uh, have a message for, uh, for parents out there, because uh, our audience is primarily nurses that listens to the, to the podcast, uh, but a lot of them are parents. Um, how would you say if they feel helpless or, uh, or if they, they, their schools are opening back up, uh, what's the best way uh, for them to, send their send their kids back to school if you know because they have to right so for parents i want them to number one know that there's going to be a full-time school nurse at their school i think that's an important question to ask i think sometimes parents don't even think about it unless their child has a chronic health condition so find out who is going to be responsible for assessing these kids what does the isolation room look like what is in it How many people at once can be in this isolation room? And what is your process for contact tracing? What is the percentage? What is considered an outbreak? Is it a classroom? Is it a building? And what is the plan for when we have to go remote so that we're not taken by surprise? You want complete transparency. And I think they're going to find that schools are still 
deciding what they're going to do. They've probably seen more surveys than they've ever seen in their lifetime about what they were choosing to do. Um, I also want to tell parents, you have power. Parents' voices matter. If you are concerned about the something that you read in your school's plan, if you don't think it's detailed enough, if you have questions, go to that Zoom board meeting. Put your, put your questions and your concerns in writing. Run for that school board. You are powerful. You know, like power to the people at this point, because guess what? It's not happening from the highest levels of government. We have to create what we want to see. And partner with your school nurse. Your school nurse is there to support you. They're there to help your child. They're not there to give you a hard time. We are just trying to follow guidelines that are shifting in sand. Because as the tide comes in and something happens over here, the guidelines change. And then we have to completely, you know, pivot. So work with us. Um. So thank you for that. I think that's great advice. And uh, like like I mentioned before to you, uh, I'm lucky enough. I live in a city that is going remote uh, sure. for for uh, for the for the kids, uh, and I'm lucky enough to uh, um, have the capability of you know supporting my kids at home with between my wife and I. Primarily, my wife. I'm not going to take credit for. Don't you, <laughs> uh, don't you dare. Uh, Don't take credit for what she doing. Uh, she and, I, and I'm lucky enough that she's a teacher. So uh, oh, yeah, you're she, good. So are actually, you. Hello. Well, uh, I can work with. Uh, I'm good with with grownups. Uh, kids has a is a whole another specialty. I I don't have the patience for it I necessarily. Um, but uh, so. If, the fact that you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're one of the question to ask is who is the school nurse who's going to be doing the assessments? Uh, what is your, uh, I want to say, what is your advice? Uh, what would you say to people who are not school nurses, but may feel compelled to uh, become one or thinking about becoming one? Uh, what is, what is your advice to them or how would you get, because I know most people, like when I talk to my students, they're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, type of a thing. I'm still trying to figure myself out. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, like, what do you want to do? Like a lot of them go into oh, emergency room, ICU, critical care, uh, CRNA, all this stuff. But like, I was surprised this last semester, like somebody said, oh, I want to be a school nurse. I'm like, yes, thank you. Like this is that, that is a specialty and there's definitely a need for it. Um, so people who aren't in the school nursing arena, uh, uh, what, what would you say? to those individuals kind of thinking about it or aren't sure or thinking maybe down the line, they want to do something like that. I would recommend if they're really interested in school nursing, that they shadow a school nurse for a day. If it's their child's school or a niece or nephew's school, I think it's really important. It's a big decision to make. There's additional um, education needed. I think it's really important to see the real behind the scenes where we should really have a camera with us. It would be the best reality show going. People would never be able to turn it off because they wouldn't believe it. Um, I, I think that's one way to, to really shadow a school nurse. If you're really thinking about it, get your substitute certificate and do some subbing in a school district on some of your days off. You'll get a really good taste of what's going on as a sub. 
Um, I think those are two important ways. Uh, you know, check out the National Association of School Nurses website because they have, you don't have to be a member, but they have lots of great resources. Um, you do. know, we have, our, we have two, um, two peer-reviewed journals that come out quarterly. Uh, and there's some great um, online listservs, uh, community conversations so that you can look at to to see what's happening in the world of school nursing. So those are just some ideas before you step into it. You may, if you're interested in the coursework, you may want to see if you can, you know, um, shadow a couple classes and see what's happening in terms of the educational piece. Because it is a commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a financial commitment. You don't want to go through a full certification and find out, uh, no, yeah, no, that was not for me. And you have to have a real, besides love of children, an understanding of pediatrics and also a real understanding of public health. It's, it's truly a combination of community health nursing, public health nursing, major pediatrics, but also anybody who comes in that building potentially could need you, whether it's staff, visitors, uh, you are the, as I tell my students, the chief wellness officer of your building. Even Absolutely. if you don't have that title, that's what you are. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, before, uh, I want to be cognizant of your time. Uh, uh, before we end this, thank you for all the advice. This has been fantastic. Um, before uh, we go, uh, anything else you want to share uh, with our audience? Yeah, so I would love to encourage nurses, school nurses, anyone who's listening, if you're in nursing, use your voice, be out there, be active on social media. If I would love to follow me on Twitter at Robin Kogan, and please visit my blog, The Relentless School Nurse. Um, I, I also, I often guest host guest blogs for other nurses or other, I've guest blogged for other parents for, you know, it's kind of across all sectors. So yeah, I would love to connect and um, love to see on social media. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, just for our audience, I will have the links to your blog, your Twitter account, your social media account uh, on my on my website. So uh, I, must owe, will... I must owe you some things to send you that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I have it. Yeah, I have everything. It. Okay, great. I, I have it. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so thank you for that, um, and uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we have been listening uh, and to my uh, very incredible guest, uh, Robin Kogan, the relentless school nurse. Uh, and I want to thank you again for being here and uh, appreciate your time. And this has been another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Tayeb. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.